Hey everybody, welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. This is Michael Williams, founder and president of Altius Financial, and I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Taylor Dennis, our senior wealth design specialist at Altius Financial. Say, say hello, Taylor. Hey everyone. So lately, one of the biggest headlines in the news is all about inflation and the fact that it's hit an almost 40-year high. So more importantly than the news headlines is what people are experiencing in the way of higher prices at the grocery store or wherever, gas station, housing prices, etc. Um, you know, high costs are kind of a pain in the butt. And I recently wrote some information about in our newsletter about this, but inflation is a big deal right now. And most people don't really understand the concept very much. So we're here to dive deeper into that concept of inflation. Yeah, just a quick reminder before we get too far into inflation. Um, our Capitalize Your Fridays are not meant to be direct advice. We do recommend reaching out to your financial team or reaching out to us directly if you have questions on your specific investment or financial advice. So, Taylor, what do you mean? If we're not offering advice on Capitalize Your Fridays, what the heck is anybody listening to us for? <laughs> well, they like the sound of our voices, obviously. <laughs> no, but really, it's just supposed to be educational and a little bit fun. I know we often, we're going to talk about inflation it's a serious topic, but we want to make sure that it's interesting too, right? We publish podcasts every other Friday, and we want people going into the weekend thinking positive, maybe getting a little bit more confidence, and to really capitalize and celebrate the accomplishments of the week. So while you might hear something specific on what's going on in the world, don't jump to change your plan immediately. Yeah, and obviously this is a, um, a way for us to do some marketing. Of course, if you're looking for a financial team and do want some director advice, on your planning or investment strategy, feel free to reach out to us because we're here for you. You can you can contact uh, either one of us at our email addresses, taylor at altiusfinancial.com, michael at altiusfinancial.com, or check out the website at altiusfinancial.com. You know, we, we, I guess altiusfinancial.com might be burned in your brain right now, but <laughs> we, that's part of what we're trying to do is make sure that you know we're here if you're wanting to find out more about it, and we're going to dive into inflation a little bit. Yeah, so what is inflation? Mike, let's start off slow. Obviously, I've read about inflation as an issue. Um, I've talked with my family about it growing up. I've learned about it while studying for my finance degree, while studying for my CFP. This is something that's kind of been recurring through my studies, but now it's it's really hitting. So, I mean, what exactly is inflation? So I'm glad you asked, because I think there's a fair amount of confusion out there about the topic, and actually not all economists agree on what it is or how to measure it. So many people think of inflation as just higher prices, you know, things getting more costly on the goods and services that you buy throughout uh, your daily life or in an economy, just having high, higher prices go up. Okay, I've definitely noticed that. <laughs> I was at the grocery store yesterday, and I thought, okay, wow, groceries are getting more expensive. This is this is inflation. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's that's part of the the consequence. But I I actually think that's that sometimes confuses the effect, which is higher prices, with their cause. And so what was once a word that described a monetary cause now describes a price outcome or just higher prices. So it's it's true that under inflationary conditions you get higher prices. Prices on most things are going to go up, and and that's what people are experiencing right now. But that sort of begs the question: What caused those higher prices? Why are the prices going up right now? Now, the Austrian school, and I'm going to maybe get too techie, <laughs> technical on here, but there are lots of different schools of thought, so to speak, in 
economics or any number of disciplines. But in, in economics, there's lots of different kinds of schools out there who say, this is our theory and this is how we explain things. I subscribe to uh, something called the Austrian School. And it's the only reason it's called the Austrian School is because that's where they started you know, uh, over 100 years ago. But they say it's not just higher prices, but the cause is an increase in the quantity of money and credit. Meaning that if you have lots more money out there, but not more stuff, not more wealth, not more goods and services, not more actual things that people want to buy, and ultimately not more productivity, then that limited supply of goods and services will get make that it'll it'll actually mean that the money supply is getting less valuable because you have more money chasing those dollars. Um, and a larger of money money is worthless. So the buying power is reduced. That's kind of what, what the real technical idea behind inflation is, in my view. The dollars or whatever concern, currency you're measuring, whether it's dollars or euros or whatever, it has to stand for something. It's got to be representative of the wealth in the economy. It has to have value in relationship to the actual goods that people really demand. Okay, so that's kind of a mouthful. I think um, for anyone who's a economics novice listening to this, they might be going... Austrian what? Austrian who? Um, I mean, I've taken I've taken economics classes in college, but I haven't been like formally taught economics since high school and college. So, Mike, do you want to really kind of go into a little bit on what that is? I know you're um, you're definitely involved in the Mont Pelerin Society, and so you're kind of a econ buff over here. Yeah, and I don't want to get too geeky, but I think it's important for people to realize that that. It is a debatable thing, and economists have lots of different ways of explaining the world, and there are different thoughts. It's, it's, it's not all clear-cut. The science of economics is still developing. Again, the Austrians, is, is that's the people I think have the better explanations. And you mentioned I'm a member of the Mont Pelerin Society. That was actually started uh, in the 1940s, late in the 1940s, um, by a group of e economists economists, Austrian economists, who, uh, and famous people, people like Milton Friedman or uh, Ludwig von Mises and uh, Frederick Hayek. Hayek was the one who really was the, the fuel behind starting the Mont Pelerin Society. But it, it's just a group of people who actually study economics from a free market standpoint and, and try to explain things, uh, how economies work, and in fact, how inflation works, how that impacts the economy. So in one sense, uh, you know, that's what I'm saying. The term, you know, fixed as far as how much wealth is in the world um, versus the amount of money that's representing that wealth, um, it can be a confusing thing because an economy is very dynamic. But one of the biggest fallacies that people fall for is what we call a fixed pie or, oh, there's only so much wealth to go around and one person's gain is someone else's loss. And that whole thinking is all wrong, and it manifests itself in so many bad public policy uh, prescriptions. In a, because in a freer, semi, at least semi-free economy, people are always creating more. They can be productive, and you can have real economic growth. I mean, if you think about the, the kind of wealth that the U.S. had at its, at its founding, you know, it was kind of a third-world place. I mean, the U.S. was a backwater place, you know, that, England and France were kind of going, oh, you're a pain in our butt. Um, and you think about the kind of po economic powerhouse the U.S. is today. How did that happen? Well, it happened because more productivity happened. Whether or not there was uh, a 
inflationary or non-inflationary monetary policy made a difference. There's lots of examples throughout the world of wealth, wealth increasing. But it's, at any one point in time, if you just create inject, and inject lots of money, you know, lots of dollars without more wealth being produced, that money's going to go somewhere. Now, it could just sit in the bank accounts. It could sit in bank reserves, the banks themselves, or it could sit in people's bank accounts. They might hoard it. They might put it under the bed. But if they're not spending it, if they're not actually circulating it, if they're not investing it, um, then you won't necessarily have inflation. You can have a big injection, lots new, lots of new money, but not really any action for it, so you don't get inflation. And this is what economists refer to as velocity, or in the case of you know low activity, low velocity. But if you start speeding up in terms of meaning that the new money is actually starting to circulate, that is what can create inflation. So if the new money starts moving around more quickly and being invested, and there's more economic activity, then it starts having an impact on the prices. Okay, so that's where you get that phrase of inflation really being too much money chasing too few goods. That's exactly right. Um, now, economists have lots of ways of categorizing the various kinds of inflation. You know, they have terms, and again, this is kind of technical, but they have terms like demand pull inflation or cost push inflation or wage push inflation. Or even in, in the worst of cases, you have hyperinflation where you just have inflation really taking off at an exponential rate, and that's a really damage, damaging kind of phenomenon. But forget all these technical things. You know, there's, there's, the big takeaway is that there are two sides to any price. The people who are paying it, and, the, and then the people who are actually charging it. So if you're paying higher prices, then you, on the other side, want to say, well, I'm paying higher prices for everything I buy, whether it's gas or food or whatever. So my cost of living is going up. So what do I want to do? Well, I want to be able to afford it. So I'm going to say whatever I'm selling, I want to charge more for what I'm selling, whether it's my, you know, if I have a business, I'm charging more for my products and services, or if I'm just an employee, if I'm saying, okay, I sell my time, I sell my services to my employee employer. Well, I want to charge more. I want my wages to go. But the second part is prices don't all go up at the same time. It sort of depends on where that new money flows to start with. And it's not that easy to predict. It can be a spiral where you get higher prices, you know, kind of reacting to each other. Higher prices begetting higher prices. Wage earners want more and demand more to keep up their lifestyle. So then their, their employers raise the prices for their customers and whatever they sell. So higher prices causing their own kind of reactions in the marketplace and like a chain, chain reaction where it sort of spirals. That word chain reactions, it reminds me a lot of what I see in the news from the government and the Federal Reserve. Is that the inflation we're seeing because of the disruption in the supply chain? So the chain reactions you're talking about happen in that supply chain, but they're also saying that it's temporary or transitory because of COVID. COVID caused the economy and velocity spending to go down, but now they're coming out of it. So are we coming out of it? Well, maybe, maybe don't answer that. That's yeah, I don't, that is a topic. different topic, whether we're coming out of COVID or not, right? And we can talk about that sometime. Well, and now people are at least spending more, and that's natural. So we'll have a spike in economic activity but and spending. But if that's where the inflation is coming from, then will it all really settle down once the economy normalizes? Or what is your reaction to that? 
So that's that is the question, right? Uh, the it's been the argument from the Federal Reserve, and it's their job, at least originally, it's their job to protect our money stability. You know, not not have prices be wild swings. You know, to keep relatively stable prices and to have now quote full employment. Uh, and and I say nominally because anyone who has any bit of history background knows that the Federal Reserve has been an absolute failure in protecting the value of the dollar and protecting our purchasing power. All you have to do is go to our website. And again, this is a little plug, but you go to our website, altiusfinancial.com, and you see this shrinking value of the dollar. Just click on the key concepts up in the right-hand part of our website, and you can go to something called the dollar's purchasing power. And it's a simple graphic. You'll see the facts there. The value of the dollar over the course of time, especially since we went off the gold standard, has been dropping every year or virtually every year. Um, so they haven't done a good job of protecting our stable money supply in the first place. But even with the Fed and their communications, Jerome Powell, the guy who's who's the chairman of the Federal Reserve, he just sort of suddenly stopped using that term transitory. You know, they were trying to say to the public, hey, calm down. We see the inflation's kind of coming, coming along, but this is it's because we're in a, this extraordinary time. We're coming out of COVID and, and you know, there was a. A contraction in economic activity and things slowed down, and now we're seeing this big bump up because people are coming out of, and you know the the lockdowns are over. Well, that's a question mark, but um, yeah. Do you think he stopped using the word transitory because COVID's not COVID itself isn't really transitory anymore? It seems like it's not really going away. Yeah, ever. and that that's, that again is a different topic, Taylor. We could talk about COVID and whether it's going away or not. That may that's a whole different topic. Uh, but for today. I think that he stopped using the word transitory or temporary because he's realizing, starting to see that maybe there's real structural inflation and it's a bigger risk to our economy than he had originally or they had originally anticipated. So that's the question. But every time they're kind of in a in a tough spot because every time they start saying, well, we have to deal with inflation, that means raising interest rates. And that 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 term sometimes means, in fact, economists have used that to be, oh, the party's just getting started and you're taking the punch bowl away, right? Everyone's yeah. starting to now have fun. The economy's, you know, velocity's picking up, spending's happening, people are borrowing, people are investing. And now guess what? The Fed's going to take the punch bowl away or start to raise interest rates. And then the stock market starts to, you know, have problems. It starts to uh, have corrections or down days whenever the Fed starts talking about raising interest rates. But it's a signal maybe from the Fed, that, yeah, we got a bigger problem with this uh, this inflation stuff. I get that prices going up can be bad. I mean, I've, I've definitely personally seen that with my expenses going up. But if it's two-sided, does that mean I can just ask Altius for a higher paycheck? And maybe we charge our clients a little bit more, and then they ask for higher paychecks. Maybe someone petitions for Social Security checks to go up. <laughs> um, if the cost of living is raising on Social Security and life, um, I mean, what's the real big deal if we're all kind of going up a step? Well, and that's that's actually true. If you just, add, you know, if you could just say, all right, everyone gets a zero on the end of their paycheck or okay. everyone, every price out there, whether it's a price of a paycheck, you know, the wages that people earn or the price at the grocery store or gas pump. If we just put on the same day at the same time another zero on the end. Everything is more expensive, but it doesn't matter. Right. Because yeah. it's all the same wealth that same day in that same instant. Um that that would mean there's no real difference in anyone's wealth and it wouldn't be a problem at all. That would mean no one would have any advantage. But that's not exactly what happens. The mechanism 
that makes for inflation is that it goes from the Fed. This new money goes from the Fed through the banking system first, and it hits certain industries and prices before others. So you start getting disruptions and distortions, and some people actually do okay or even better under inflation. You know, they, they have some flexibility in terms of their assets, and they actually get a crack at the new money first. But others get significantly hurt by it because they don't have that kind of flexibility to charge more for their products or even their, their wages. They don't have enough leverage to say to their employer, you know, I want more. This is one of the major problems of inflation. Even though it often comes because governments are trying to help the lower end of the spectrum, people who don't maybe have as much income, or at least they're saying they're trying to help, you know, they're trying to create more jobs or lift up the bottom, or they have all kinds of political statements that they're, they're trying to say, here's this new public policy, and we're going to save this, and we're going to spend money for this way. But that's borrowed money, and they spend that borrowed money that they don't have, which causes prices to go up in certain areas. And really, the most vulnerable people, the people who are at the bottom of the income spectrum, whose their, their income goes mostly for food, transportation, clothing, shelter, the basics of life, all their prices go up. But they don't have much in the way of skills or ability to demand more from their employer as much as maybe higher paid people do. And they don't have any financial assets that can be moved around to take advantage of this inflation. So they get hurt the most. That sounds a lot like what I've read from the 1970s. Is that where you think we're headed? Well, it's, you know, we always say it's pretty difficult to predict the future. And we constantly use that quote. In fact, we talked about it a week or two, a couple of weeks ago, the quote from Mark Twain. History is not doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it sure seems to rhyme a lot. Um, and that's, you know, just the idea is trying to learn from history. I, I think it does look a lot like this in the 1970s, as in we've had years and years of too much borrowing, too much regulation, and too much spending. Now, that time, you know, we've recently had sort of the big spending programs, Make America Great Again under Trump, or now Build Back Better by, by Biden. You know, those are spending programs. Back then, it was more the Great Society under Johnson. And then later on, you know, Nixon had some spending programs and certainly Carter did too. Um, and instead of all the wartime spending we saw recently in Afghanistan and Iraq, back then it was this, we did a lot of spending on uh, the Vietnam War in, in Southeast Asia. And that sort of catches up to us you know, when you have that kind of borrowing. Now, that's not making a comment about whether those wars were good or bad, but wars cost money. And you have to sometimes borrow to, to, to do them. Um, they can be inflationary by themselves. Now, there, there really are some counter arguments. Um, there's, in fact, several potentially deflationary pressures, meaning that over time prices should come down. And in the long term, prices should come down in a free economy. Things should get more efficient. Quality should go up. Prices should come down. Competition usually has that deflationary, that deflationary impact. Now, I don't think it's quite correct to call it deflationary because lower prices in and of themselves are not what I would call technically deflation, just like higher prices are not technically inflation. I mean, if someone can charge more for a certain product because it's better, we don't call that inflation. We call that, you know, something getting better and having you know more demand for it. But general price inflation or deflation is what we're talking about. We're, you know, across the board. Um, but Technology itself has been really a fantastic development. You know, we've had incredible advances in technology and artificial intelligence and so forth. And those things are deflationary. They, they actually make us more efficient. 
And of course, outsourcing and immigration, those can be deflationary too, in a good sense. Mostly, uh, but many people don't understand that. I mean, it, it can make our costs go down, it can bring costs and prices go down. And of course, you have the example of uh, Japan over the past several decades, trying desperately to increase their growth by borrowing and spending, and it didn't really do, didn't work. So you know, there's counter arguments to this issue of inflation taking off. Um, now, are we really going to have a growth an inflationary spiral? There's, there's no guarantee. So it's hard to say, but I do think I lean toward the argument that it does look like the seventies and we're probably going to see that same kind of environment. And, and, you know, the worst of it would be what we call stagflation. So by stagflation, you mean we get a stagnation, no real economic growth or very low growth while still experiencing the higher prices caused by the inflated money supply, right? Yeah. Okay. That doesn't sound very good. <laughs> I know that before the 70s, economic, economists um, thought that you either had higher growth with inflation or a stagnant economy and no inflation. Stagflation kind of seems like the worst case of both scenarios. Yeah, it's definitely bad. I mean, if, you, if you're not getting any kind of advanced economic activity and growth, and you're having higher prices, that can be painful on both sides. It's not, it's not necessarily the worst case. I mean, the, I touched on the, you know, maybe the worst case being hyperinflation where things just go out of control. The value of the currency just keeps dropping. The dollars just don't buy anything um, since prices, you know, go up exponentially. And that's a very, very bad scenario. It, it just keeps spiraling. And it's the recipe for absolute wealth destruction and widespread, widespread poverty, really. Uh, we have seen that in other countries. You you know, sometimes I pull out my Zimbabwe $100 trillion bill example. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times Americans think, well, that's Zimbabwe. That can't happen here. You know, that's that's way across the world. And that's a third world country. That's, that's just not realistic for us to have that problem. But we have seen in history other wealthy nations, you know, rich nations, not just some third world country, but wealthy economies like Argentina or Venezuela, who at one time were some of the richest countries in the world and now suffering from a really, they did suffer and have, or in the case of Venezuela, still is suffering from inflation that ultimately came from government controls and regulations and money printing, borrowing without actual consequent growth. And I don't really think we're on the brink of any kind of hyperinflationary time period. You know, that's, it's hard to predict, but even if we just go back to that 70s scenario, that's that's pretty painful for lots of folks. Well, so what can people do? What are what are we going to do to help our clients protect protect themselves from this ugly inflation? Well, I want to stress again that we're not giving specific advice. Yep. Um, so, and I'd like to emphasize that you know if any of our listeners are concerned about their portfolio and how inflation would impact them, and how their overall plan looks right now. Um, and they want to review things. They want to do a little bit of a checkup. We're definitely here for that. Um, we would be happy to sit down for for a little bit for anybody who's listening to have them get on our schedule and get a second opinion. It's a great time to uh, evaluate the risks out there. It can be challenging because, as Warren Buffett once said, having inflation is kind of like trying to run up a downed escalator. You, know? <laughs> um, you can get up to the top, but it's going to be a lot harder work. You know? and, and you have yeah. to do certain things. Um, I wrote in our recent newsletter that the best thing you can do if you're a conservative investor is to make sure that you have any debt that you have is locked in at low rates. You want to be also exposed to diversified portfolio of businesses that have pricing power. That means really high quality stocks that have the ability to 
raise their prices. They can keep up with any kind of inflationary pressures, um, and they won't have a significant drop-off in demand. And there are certain kind of businesses that have that attribute, and we can talk about that. And they also want to own a certain portion of their assets in, in hard assets or real assets, commodities such as energy and precious metals like gold and silver. And they definitely want to avoid long-term bonds. Bonds are one of the biggest things that get destroyed as far as value in an inflationary spiral. Now, if you're more aggressive, you might want to take that similar approach that I mentioned, but also even maybe borrowing more yourself, you know, locking in some some more fixed debt against your uh, hopefully good real assets. The debt that you pay back is paid back in cheaper and cheaper dollars, and that can be exposed to still a still growing industry or a still growing asset. Borrowers can get a lot richer during inflation. Um, people who can afford to borrow more can get richer. Now, it's a riskier approach, and that's why it's a more aggressive thing. But for the for people who want to take more risk, as long as they're doing it with full, you know, full uh, understanding of that risk, they can actually do better too. The key thing for me, I would say, is for all investors is that some portion of your portfolio has to be exposed to businesses or to stocks that are in businesses that earn high returns on capital and that have high pricing power. Low capital needs allow a business to maintain their earnings and the ability to raise prices without having customer customers drop off. I mean, they've got a product that people want and need, and they can continue to raise prices on them without really affecting demand. Um, I do think you spent a bit there talking about how um, now is not the time to buy into bonds. So for maybe some of our newer investors who are listening, they might be thinking, why not? I, I want to lock in a guaranteed return. That bonds sound like a great idea. I do kind of want to clarify the reason Mike is saying that is, say you get into a bond right now and you're thinking, oh, great, I've got my 1% bond for 10 years. And now a year from now, interest rates are at 5% and you're still only going to be getting that 1%. So you would either get a lower return on your principal, so your original investment, if you decided to trade it, um, or you would just be locked in at a lower rate than you would otherwise receive. Yeah, there's just an inverse relationship between bond prices and interest rates. You know, when interest rates go up, current bond prices uh, go down, and that's that's just a function of uh, of supply and demand. And and so that's why I'm saying people should avoid those kinds of long-term bonds that are currently uh, fixed in at low rates. Another point that I really want to make, to, especially to younger people, and you you even want to comment on this too, uh, Taylor. But one of the best, best investments a person can make is their own is in their own skills and abilities. You know, real education, learning new practical knowledge and skills can be costly upfront. But as they say, you know, see how much or see how expensive ignorance and stagnation is. I mean, if, if a person doesn't invest in themselves, then they're going to kind of get left behind. And increasing your own value in the marketplace gives you pricing power and longer term earnings potential. And yeah, I want to emphasize that that whole issue. I, I I say, quote, real education, because there's a lot of education that's gone on at high prices. You know, we've had inflation in education for a long time, and it doesn't mean you really get a lot of value. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, sort of distortion in the marketplace for higher education over the last few decades. And you have to be kind of value conscious in, in all cases, but certainly with regard to education. You know, another thing I wanted to mention, you know, I'm kind of getting off track with that whole education. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I want to mention uh, for younger people, especially, is to limit your wants or 
the whole idea of delaying your gratification. You know, it's a big cause for longer term success, financially at least, and even more so during times of inflation. You gotta, you gotta say, okay, are these the most important things for me in my life right now? Do I want to spend money on them or, or can I actually do with less? Uh, um, one other thing a person can invest in is tips. You know, treasury inflation protection securities. It's interesting that, you know, government actually causes inflation, but then it tries to help people fight inflation by creating a whole new security. And it's a treasury bond that's indexed to inflation. So that's a set, an exception to the bond issue. You, know, you can buy bonds that are issued by the treasury that are indexed and will protect your capital some. I'm not a huge fan, but they're certainly more appropriate than long-term bonds, as we mentioned before. And they can be good for conservative investors. And of course, you know, you and I, I won't spend a lot of time on it right now, but we've talked quite a bit about precious metals and, and uh, the long-term value of being involved in commodity investments when you have an inflationary environment. Yeah. So those are some, some things we're recommending in building portfolios with. So just to wrap this up, inflation is caused by an unwanted increase in the money supply, and it's a stealthy tax. It's a way to take and transfer wealth away from those who don't quite yet understand it, and there are difficult things that you can do to protect yourself, and we'd like to help. Yeah, there's definitely things we can do, and um, we'd like to. Yeah. So if anyone has questions on these strategies or what you should be doing for your personal financial planning strategy, definitely reach out to us. Michael at AltiusFinancial.com, Taylor at AltiusFinancial.com. We do really appreciate all of our listeners who are tuning into our podcast. As a quick reminder, we are doing this every other Friday, so you should see one podcast released every other Friday. We're also still on our social platforms. We're trying to build those out. Um, all platforms are saved as Altius Financial. It's all in one word. So you can find us on everything from Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. If you check our Instagram and our Facebook, we are doing our Terminology Tuesdays every single week. So that's kind of our replacement to the 53-week challenge we've previously been doing. This is kind of our way to continue to educate our listeners and to educate any of our followers on financial terms and kind of keep them engaged in their finances. I hope you guys all have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, everybody.